Gina Della from Pella. Choose five years no interest and five months no first payment or 10-year 2.99 APR financing. Ends August 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Mike Spalding, I can always tell when it's going to be one of those shows. Oh, it's going to be one of those, It's huh? going to be one of those shows. <laughs> so in in the, the trade-off where Scafidi and I are talking, I, I think I, I made some reference. To, we we were talking about vaccines and things of the like, and, and I made some reference to th- this, this alternate treatment that's being touted um, by by some people, um, the, the, it's called ivermectin, mm-hmm. and what what it is, it, it's a drug. It, it you give it to cows and to horses to to kill tapeworms. Okay, that that so that that's what it is. It it you give it to animals to kill tapeworms, and there was some sort of crazy study that was was up on the internet um, for for a while that suggested that this this might help. You know, treat COVID. Now, now okay, and, and then, then as soon as they put it up there, it hadn't been peer reviewed or anything. And then apparently, that the study that was was touting this stuff was complete and total garbage, and they they they, they pulled it off. And and yet, there's still people out there who are suggesting that maybe you should take th- this this drug, which you give to cows and horses to to kill tapeworms as a way of of treating COVID. And there's no there's no evidence. That, that suggests it has anything to do with COVID, and the the FDA. Now I, I understand that the FDA is controversial, but but they they've come out and they said they were essentially saying people are are you nuts? You're not a horse. You're not a cow. Stop taking this stuff. It it's not approved for for human use. And so I, I was making reference to that, and we have one texter who's going, I can't believe you, you've got your you know head stuck in the sand. Don't you realize this is a wonderful drug developed by a Nobel Prize winner and and it it might be great if you've got a cow or a horse that has a tapeworm, but seriously, you know, you're, you're going to just take something here. I, you know, my dog Sasha. Here, Sasha, you've got some medication. Here, you, you've got this medication, this thing that you take for, you know, that they give all dogs for like heartworm and stuff. Here, I'm going to have one of these to see maybe it'll stop COVID. <laughs> I'm not eating my dog's medication. Well, we saw this at the beginning of the pandemic when it was when people were still getting it newly and there was a there, there was all these theories of how you can protect yourself against even contracting the virus in the first place um it was what was it drinking the whatever it was not bleach but what was the right the, the, yeah. at the beginning so you see this pop up every every now and again but this one was maybe the most surprising of all of them or or eye-opening i guess you could say well yeah and so it's, i mean and of course the story is there, there's a handful of people who've decided to self-treat with this and apparently uw health and madison have received a, a series of calls from people who, the way it's described, is have experienced gastrointestinal side effects. Yeah, you could probably say that yeah. after taking this drug, <laughs> and we're worried. Oh, I'm going to. <laughs> gee, what could possibly go wrong here? I mean, we're going to give a horse this pill to kill tapeworms. I'm going to ingest it, huh? Gee, I've got gastrointestinal side effects. I, 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 you know, you don't even know what to say to this sort of stuff. And look, and I, I understand that science develops all the time. But anyways, we, we had one of the texters who was just upset with me that I was making fun of 
people taking again a tapeworm medication for horses. You know, I just I don't know what to say. Don't like, read, don't trust everything you read online. Don't trust everything you read online. Absolutely. All right. Um, by the way, had a good experience last night. Went went to the baseball game, and I will tell you, I, I was kind of surprised. They only had an announced crowd of twenty four thousand people there, and I know part of it is attendance is down in general because. I think largely because the baseball teams, a lot of attendance comes from group sales, and this year they, they really weren't able to get group sales rolling early. But twenty four thousand people there, and I, I, it was a it was one of the best baseball games that I've been to in a long while. Uh, it was well played. Uh, Brewers fell behind four to one, and then came back and, and had a seven to four win. My, uh, it was just a well played baseball game, and the crowd went home happy. The the problem, of course, again, and I, I know I sound like a broken record on this is the game is almost four hours long we we stay till the end because my, my friend who i go with is kind of a completist but, but i mean the game didn't end till started seven ten, ended around 11 o'clock and 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 i was looking around the stands by the time the game ended i'd say of those twenty four thousand people that had been there at the beginning probably half had gone already because it four hours is too long people with kids had taken them out with no trouble getting to our car in the parking lot because again major league baseball's got to figure out i think a way to to speed up the games you know four hours is just i think it's it's too long i have some ideas but but you got to figure out a way to speed up the games but regardless that aside it was a great game this brewers team is for real i I say that sincerely the brewers team is absolutely for real and there's plenty of time to get on the bandwagon okay let us get started there was a time i take you back before streaming of music I take you back to a time before um, the CDs. There was a time when if you wanted merch, if you wanted to have music in addition to listening to the radio, what you would do is you would go down to this place called a record store. And the record store had these things called record albums. And the record albums were round uh, pieces of, of vinyl that had songs on them. And you would put them on the record player and you would put the arm on the record player and you had speakers and things like that. The records themselves came in album covers. The albums came in album covers, which were cardboard. And the albums themselves, the outside of the albums, had all sorts of art on them. As a matter of fact, there was a time, you talk to some music uh, musicians back then, they'll tell you there was a time it, it cost all, it cost more to produce an album cover than it cost to actually produce the album itself that was inside. But the, these albums, the, the, the cover art, really was was art. And there's a lot of cover art that, that's absolutely iconic. Um, uh, the, the Beatles, the Sgt. Pepper's album, you know, with the, the, the album itself with all the different pictures of all the people. Um, Bob Dylan, his second album called The Freewheeling Bob Dylan. It's got a picture of him and his girlfriend at the time, and, and they're walking through Greenwich Village. It, it's iconic. The Rolling Stones in 71, they come out with this album called Sticky Fingers. It had, um, uh, brown sugar on it and wild horses. But the, the cool thing about Sticky Fingers is the front of it shows um, blue jeans, and it, it's actually had a real zipper on it. <laughs> the, the original Sticky Fingers album had a zipper that you could like pull pull up and down. It, it was th- these were iconic 
pieces of of art absolutely and you know for a lot of people who collected albums back then it was just as cool yeah you wanted to listen to the record you wanted to hear the music but you you wanted the the album cover and and the art well one of the iconic albums of the 1990s was by a band called Nirvana you know one of kind of like the grunge rock bands out of Seattle and what happened is they were making their their second album this is in the early 1990s and for the cover the album was called Nevermind and it uh the second album by Nirvana Nevermind is is generally recognized as one of the the top 50 albums of, of all time i mean it it's it's Nirvana's probably it is probably their peak and what they were doing is they were they were searching for the idea of, of what what are we going to put on on the album cover and what they were trying to do i think is make a statement on on capitalism or whatever so long story short what happens is the guy who's photographing that this who's who's thinking of okay what are we going to put on the album cover um and the idea is let's take a baby and let's try to say show that the baby and capitalism or whatever and that led to this iconic album cover what happens is the photographer calls up a friend of his who has a newborn child has a baby and says look hey we're we're having this this party over here at this hotel and here's what the deal is we're we're looking to take a picture bring your kid over the Bring your, your baby over, and what we're going to do is we want you to put him in the water. We want you to put him in the pool, and um, we want to take a picture of the baby in, in the pool, and we'll give you 200 bucks. So, and you can come to the party. So dad says, great, I'm going to, that, that sounds great. So he goes over to the party. They, they take the baby. The baby is naked. Baby is unclothed. They put the baby in the pool, and then they, they drop a dollar bill that's like, uh, there, there's like a fishing hook, and the dollar bill is is around the fish hook, and they put it into the water, and then they get this this picture of of the the naked baby, and it's kind of like the baby's floating there, and the baby is looking at this dollar bill attached to the fish hook. They take this picture, that becomes the cover of the album uh, Nevermind by Nirvana, which goes on to be one of the largest selling albums of all time. All right, that so that's the story. The the baby who posed for this sort of i mean the baby the baby was a couple months old at the time the the person who posed for this his name is spencer eldon and i say posed he really didn't pose dad puts him into the pool and they, they take the picture um he was a couple months old at the time he is now 30 years old since um over the years he has come out publicly and identified himself hey i'm i'm the kid I'm the kid on the Nirvana uh, Nevermind album, and and he's actually recreated that pose, and he's 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 made money off the fact that you know he w- was famous for a couple minutes because you know he got his picture taken when he was a child. Okay, so that's the deal. You know that's the background of this. Well, um, yesterday he filed a lawsuit in federal court, suing the surviving members of Nirvana. The estate of Kurt Cobain, who was the front guy for Nirvana, for Nirvana, who died a number of years ago. The photographer, the um, designer, 
the record label, and pretty much everybody else. He sues saying that they were all involved in making child pornography and benefited from the sex trafficking venture and his exploitation that was the distribution of Nevermind. They used child pornography, uh, this is what he alleges, depicting Spencer in a sexually provocative manner to gain notoriety, drive sales, and garner media attention. He says, um, you know, uh, my, my parents didn't sign a formal release. They just gave him 200 bucks. And now he wants millions and millions of dollars for being exploited as a baby. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think of this lawsuit filed 30 years later? All right. Should... Should Nirvana pay? Should the record company pay? Did they exploit this man? Was this child pornography that everybody was trafficking in? Does he have a case, or is he just a grifter trying to cash in? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry. My, my reaction to this entire story is give me a break. Okay, so here, here, here is the deal. First of all, let's dispose of this child pornography thing as a general rule. The law is that those sort of naked pictures of, of children absent a, a sexual context are, are not considered child pornography. So that's why, you know, mom and dad, as a general rule, if you take one of those pictures of, of your kids, like in the bathtub or something, or on the bearskin rug, as a general rule, that is not going to be considered child pornography. Now, I mean, again, <clears throat> you, you have to look at, at the context of this stuff. I guess if you, you know, do other things and superimpose other stuff, it might be different. But as a general rule, you know, taking those pictures of your kid on the bearskin rug are, are not going to constitute child pornography. The law is very, very clear on that. So I think you've got a really tough claim in in the beginning. Secondly, you sit there and you say, okay, this is not, it's not like this was done without the permission of the child's parent or guardian. You know, the dad brought the kid over, attended the party. They told what they were going to do. Hey, apparently my understanding is they had a series of other kids that a bunch of other parents brought the children over. They put them in the water. The photographer took a series of photographs, and this happened to be the one they chose. So it's not like this was done surreptitiously. It's not like this was done without the knowledge of of the dad, who in fact got 200 bucks for for doing this and and got to go to the, the party. Third, all right, this is, if you look at the interviews with this, the, the, the kid over time, he, he, he identified himself. Matter of fact, you know, he said, I think for a long time, he's like, hey, this is kind of cool. I've, I'm the kid, you know, that on the Nirvana thing. And now, you know, 30 years later, and the kid's apparently, the young man, the man, not doing well financially, looking for a money grab, comes out and says, well, you know, I, I, I've come to rethink this whole thing, and it's it's been tough because there's, I'm I'm on this this album cover that sold 30 million copies, and, and there my, my penis is being exposed. Well, okay, it's it's a baby picture. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I understand that there's real exploitation that's out there, and I appreciate 
appreciate that there are children who are exploited every day. This particular situation where your parents, your dad brings you as an infant over there and puts you in the water and allows the photograph to be taken, takes money for it, knowing it might be used for an album cover, it would seem to me if the young man now has any sort of lawsuit at all. I mean, that claim, you try to bring it against dad. Or, you know, I, I don't know his father's still alive or whatever. But, you know, this is this is sort of like, you know, your, your parents let you participate, your parents have you participate in something. And then, you know, you have, um, you know, issues with it. Um, Mike says, it sounds like the guy is looking for a big payday. If I'm the judge, I'm throwing this out of court faster than I received it. Uh, Lou in West Dallas, this is all sour grapes. Sad for him, he has nothing to do with the commercial success of the album, except bad uh, fortune that his parents knew the photographer. I mean, yeah, this is, you know, this is it. Jeff, that album cover is probably the most popular ever. Give the guy some money and be done. Well, okay. Question becomes, what, why do you give him money? At, at what point in time, how far back do you then, you know, go on this particular thing? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I agree with you. Give me a break. If he really feels this way, shouldn't he be suing his parents? Well, yeah, that would be my argument. I mean, it's your parents that, um, your, your parents that put you in this situation. Jeff, he's just out to make a buck. Come on. Jeff, this is ridiculous. There's no way to justify the lawsuit. He needs to stop trying to get free money over something so crazy. Couldn't agree, you know, more. Jeff, um, uh, this is, I own the album. Am I now a criminal for possessing child pornography? Well, no, I'm, I'm relatively um, comfortable with this. I, I wouldn't wouldn't worry about it because, again, this isn't child pornography. I don't think any court's going to consider it to be. And it is interesting that nobody's considered it to be child pornography since the album came out 30 years ago and sold 30 million copies. Now, here's the contrary view. Somebody saying, Jeff, he's got a case. He's going to win it. I don't agree he was exploited, but I think he is certainly entitled to royalties. Well, no, you're, you're only entitled to royalties if you have a deal that says that you are entitled to royalties. And there's, there's no deal that says he's entitled to royalties. His father took the 200 bucks and they had the picture. They had no idea what was going to be done with this at all. And by the way, if they hadn't have used this particular photo, dad would have still got to the, go to the party and had the 200 bucks. I mean, no, you, you, you're only entitled, royalties is a deal that you make saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you X amount of money for every copy of the album sold. And some, you know, artists negotiate that sort of thing. But in this case, there was no negotiation with the person that appeared on the cover. In this case, it would have been his parents. Well, I, I don't know how this is all going to play out. My guess is it's going to get tossed out of court. My guess is this was one of these things that's an attention grab or alternatively, maybe it's, it's just kind of a desperate effort to get some money and maybe he's hoping somebody somewhere will throw him some dough and then you know he, he can go on with his life but I just I look at this and I think you know I, I understand I remember back when I was in law school I had professors who said well you can sue anybody for anything and I kept thinking oh no people aren't gonna people aren't gonna make a federal case out of all this stuff but you no know, more and more as I get older I see that that professor was right you really can sue anybody for anything and nowadays as people get desperate to try to grab money they do sue 
for anything and everything. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We were talking in the last segment about this lawsuit about the the guy who's now 30 who was four months old when his dad had him pose for a picture in a swimming pool. Um, that picture became the iconic cover of Nirvana's second album, Nevermind, one of the largest selling albums of all time. Now he's suing, saying he was exploited. But it, it is it, it does take us back to a different time where you actually had album covers and the, the cover art in many cases, that that's what kind of sold a record. People would be you'd be sitting at the record store and you'd be going through all the different records. And hey, I don't know this band, but this this cover art picture really looks cool. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, album cover art. What what's the most iconic of all time? I threw out Sergeant Pepper's, which I think is certainly one of those by the Beatles. Number of people are mentioning Abbey Road which is, I think, clearly not the Beatles' greatest album, but it's the, the picture of the four of them crossing the street. And if you remember back at the time, it spawned this entire, this is before you had Internet conspiracies, but it spawned this entire thing that Paul McCartney was dead because Paul McCartney was in a suit and he was barefoot, and apparently that's how you bury people barefoot in, in England. And, and so the whole thing was, this is this is Paul is dead. And if you listen to the album and you play it backwards or something like that, you'll, you'll hear, Paul is dead. And my response was that if you smoke enough dope, I think you, you and you place anything backwards, you'll hear pretty much anything that you want to hear. But, um, you know, that Abbey Road is certainly um, one that's iconic as well. Um, Led Zeppelin 2, that's uh, Led Zeppelin 2. That's the one where the, it's a picture of um, uh, Baron Manfred von Richthofen sitting in the cockpit of his his fighter. Um, that was there. A um, number of people are mentioning Pink Floyd and Pink Floyd, particularly Dark Side of the Moon. It's it's a black. The album is, is black and there's a triangle and then there's like a rainbow string running through the triangle. It's um, a lot of people think that, you know, Pink Floyd, that that, that was that was art. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Um, iconic, iconic albums. Gru is lining up the call here. Let's see. Um Let's see, Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke, Rolling Papers on the cover. Number of people saying, uh, again, the, um, uh, let's see, Santana. He said, back in the early 70s, I worked at uh, an FM radio station. My choice, Santana's first album, it came with a poster. Yeah, you had that situation there. Number of people are mentioning Bruce Springsteen and particularly the, the Born to Run album um with those iconic photos on this um jeff crosby stills nash and young deja vu that was the most expensive of all time um a lot of people again pink floyd album covers being just amazing with that um let's see jeff as a child i had a phobia about skeletons as a result i could not look at the cover of the police album um synchronicity i would blur my eyes to avoid looking at it when i thumbed through my album collection um (laughs) but again this this shows how this oh oh here's another i remember this i had this when i was a kid herb albert herb albert 
and the Tijuana Brass. And they, they, they had a record. The album was called Whipped Cream and Other Delights. And the album cover featured a very attractive young woman who was covered in whipped cream. <laughs> I remember that. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Dan in West Dallas. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Dan. Say, uh, I always love looking at album covers because they, they were just so fun to look at, the creativity and whatnot. But as soon as this topic come up, the first thing I thought of was Frank Zappa, Overnight Sensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't matter how many times you looked at that album cover, you were going to find something hidden in there, whether it was Frank Zappa oozing out of the TV or or a Big Mac container. Yeah. No, and Frank Zappa, no, thanks for the call. Frank Zappa and, of course, the band The Mothers of Invention, you, you look back at it, and I, I really wasn't a huge Frank Zappa fan, but it was th- th- those albums... Those albums really were art. Um, there, there's no question about it. Let's talk to Donna in Chicago. Donna, you're on WTMJ. Uh, hello. Hi, Donna. A um, couple of albums that really come to mind is, first of all, uh, and I love vinyl over anything, is um, the Mamas and the Papas when they're all in the bathtub. Yes. Yes. Um, very cool album cover, very imaginative, and obviously excellent music. And then the second one is the Eagles' first album, and actually it was their uh, their manager, the record label, that screwed it up because they were at Joshua Tree, right? And they had that awesome right. picture of them at dawn, and when you open the album and you, you open it, it's supposed to flip up, yes. and see yeah. them under it, and they flipped it so they didn't get it, they screwed it up, and they didn't get it right. Right, and then they were too cheap to cool. right, and then they were too. I remember I saw that I, they were talking about that when I watched the, the Eagles documentary on Showtime a couple of years ago, and they were talking about yeah. how they they had screwed it up and it was upside down, and the the guy that produced yeah. it um, was kind of too cheap to go back and and, and and redo it. So it was kind of like they shrugged their shoulders and said, "Well, okay, it would have been really cool, but it, it didn't kind of work out that way." <laughs> And it is still very cool. It's very iconic. So, and you can't beat the Eagles. No, you can't. No, thanks for calling. And, and they have a, a they have a, a number of them, including. If you talk about iconic, just even like the Eagles' greatest hits, the, the simplicity of the things that are out there. Okay, a number of people are agreeing with me that uh, Sergeant Peppers would be one of those. Let's talk to. Um, let's see. Let's talk to Jack. Jack, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, I agree with you. Sergeant Peppers, I think, is the greatest album cover of all time. And the other one is the Stones Sticky Fingers with a Zipper. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, and, and people, people who are hearing us are going, what do you mean a zipper? It, it was, it was a real zipper that was on the front of, of that album. Yeah. One of my buddies had it and he says, you got to come over and look at the zipper. Uh, it's a zipper on his own Stones cover. I thought he was stoned or something. He said it to me. <laughs> yeah, but- I think he was. I think he was. I think we both got stoned and listened to it. Goddamn. <laughs> well, okay. Well, and the statute of limitations is blown on that, Jack. So that, that's good. Okay. We, we can, we can, um, ad, admit that. Um, you know, it, and it just, and again, it, 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 this this topic kind of takes me back because, because like I say, there would be a time where you would, and it was before the internet, it was before MTV, it was before you know all the music streaming and stuff. And, and what you would do is you would you would go to the record store 
And, you know, you, you would find these different, and you'd sit there, and they, they had them all alphabetized in different segments, and, and you would go through there, and you would, like, look at, that. that's how you found out about music. And some places, they actually let you, you know, go play some of the songs in listening booths so you could decide if you wanted to buy the different album. But it was the, you know, album covers that got the attention. Uh, Jeff Trace Hombres from ZZ Top. Um, right. That that's you know, ZZ Top did a lot of the really creative things as well. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to um, Tom in Milwaukee. Tom here in WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Great uh, topic. Uh, I would agree with Sergeant Pepper. However, I also like uh, Abbey Road, where they are the four Beatles are crossing the street, right. and Paul McCartney's the only one barefoot. Right. Um, I also like uh, the Velvet Underground. It's just a picture. It's a painting, actually, of a banana. Yeah. But it's painted by Andy Warhol. Right. Right. Yeah. I I, yeah. Re- I remember that. Right. That was the, on the Vel- Velvet Underground one. Right. And it's got and it's got the banana on it. And it says Andy Warhol. <laughs> you know. It's yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's signed by that. And then there's a caption that you you wouldn't necessarily know who it was, except it's got you know on it the Velvet Underground, um, uh, produced by Nico. And then it's got Andy Warhol. Yeah. No. Thanks. That that's again. That's an iconic sort of thing that that's out there and and it really is this was a time where i think as much thought and effort went into in some cases producing the cover art that was going to be on the record album as it was you know putting in the music that was in fact on the album let's talk to lucy on the west side lucy you're on wtmj hello hi hi bob dylan bringing it all back home remember albert goldman's wife in the red dress and the cat Nobody could tell what the heck it was about. Right, right, right. You know, you know it's that's, interesting. That's the one with Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man. Right, and, you know, one of the original ones. No, thanks to Cole. There, a, a lot of the Dylan albums are, again, I- iconic. The one, as I was saying at the start of this, and I, I remember the one you're talking about, the one that really, to me, is comes to mind was his second one, Free Wheel and Bob Dylan, which is where he and, and his, his girlfriend, it's in Greenwich Village, and the, the, the photo shoot, the background of it was pretty interesting. They, they really didn't have an idea for it, and the two of them were just together, and they said, hey, just, just walk down the street and we'll take pictures. But yeah, this is, look, it, it's just kind of fun, and if you are if you don't know what I'm talking about, about album covers, and your only experience with this is, well, gee, you know, I, I, I bought these CDs, and I'd see the cover art, and, you know, it's these little pictures and stuff. I don't understand what this whole thing is about. It, it is, it, especially if you like groups that were producing actual vinyl records in the 60s and 70s and 80s and into the 90s and stuff, it, it is it's worth taking a tour down memory lane and, and looking at some of the album covers and you can do it on, you know, you can do it on the internet. You just kind of, you put in, you know, Beatles album covers and they'll, you'll, you'll get photographs of, of all the different album covers that are there. You know, one of the most iconic ones as well is, is what they call the white album, Beatles white, because it's, it's a double record and it's, it's just, it's white. There, there, there is no cover art except in kind of white letters. It says the Beatles, and and that that that's all. And but you have to actually even look to see that. It was like there 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 was no cover art at all. It was just white. But that became an iconic thing as well. So in any event, it's kind of a walk down memory lane. I still don't think the kid from the Nirvana picture deserves a dime. But there's no question that um, it was kind of a different time. And I sometimes I I miss that album cover art that's there because it it really was it, it was it was art as much as anything else. Back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> 
All right. I see a time suck coming on. I blame all of you. We, we prob- I cannot tell you how many texts we got on that last topic with people with the iconic album covers. And I, I vaguely remember some, and I do remember others. So I, I, I know exactly what is going to happen this afternoon. I'm going uh, – it almost never happens, but I'm going to the baseball game two nights in a row. But at, between the program and when I have to leave to pick up my buddy, I'm going to have about an hour and a half. And so this is what's going to happen. I'm going to take the dog out. Going to bring her upstairs. She's going to be sitting on my lap, and I'm going to be spending the next about 90 minutes on the internet with all these texts going through and looking at all the vinyl albums. Th- this is it. So, all right. So when my wife complains that I'm not doing something much more productive, but I am like looking at old album covers, I'm blaming it on everyone, all of you who sent me these different album covers suggestions. Um, Joshua Tree, you too. That's a good one. So that's this is. I, I know how my afternoon is shaping up, and like I say, I blame you. But at least that's going to be more productive than some of the dumb things that people can do. Uh, Steve Scafidi and I were talking about this. That the latest challenge, the, the social media crazes that are out there, and if you haven't heard about it, I apologize for telling you this because I do not want to suggest you do it. Um, it's called the Milk Crate Challenge, and apparently what happens is, you know, milk crates, people will put together like a, a pyramid of milk crates and then video themselves climbing up on on the period uh, on the the pyramid of of milk crates and you would say okay well what what's interesting about that well what's interesting is i guess in a weird sort of way on many many cases people don't make it to the top they they fall and they hurt themselves and that's what happens and then it's like kind of like a social media spectacle so they call this the milk crate challenge and then you know people film themselves falling off the milk crates and hurting themselves ending up in many cases in the emergency rooms or the hospitals and things like this this has gone viral in recent days and it's described as the funniest challenge since the ice bucket challenge you know that was a couple years ago where people would take the you know the bucket of ice and pour it all over themselves well okay the ice bucket challenge was just dumb but <laughs> this this, however, is something that can put you in the emergency room or in the hospital or theoretically in the morgue if you land wrong. So I I, I, I'm, I was watching this. I'm going, this has really become a craze. To me, this is kind of like the, the one last year where the people would eat the Tide pods, you know, the, the, the soap. And then, of course, Tide had to come out with a thing saying, OK, this is this is for this is for washing clothes. It's not for people eating the things. Um, again, milk cartons are for transporting milk. They are not for climbing, turning into a pyramid and climbing on. And if you choose to do it because you think it's going to be clever, my only response is that that, that old saying, you can't fix stupid. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us. All right. As I have said in the past on this program, I, I am pro-vaccine. I, I, I got vaccinated for COVID as soon as, as I could. I will get a booster shot when uh, my, my time comes up. 
for for that. I, I had no reaction, no no adverse reaction at all to the uh, the COVID vaccine. But I, I I get the flu shot, and I, I get the flu shot every year. And I I understand there's some people who are hesitant to do that. For me, it's never been an issue. And a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, I, I did get the flu. But there's no question in my mind that because I had the flu vaccination, even though it didn't stop me from getting it, the the symptoms were very very mild. Whereas I don't know, about 10 or 11 years ago, I got the flu and was just like sick as a dog. It was one of those things where first you thought you were going to die and then you were thought maybe you, you were afraid you weren't going to die. So I, I am a believer in that. I haven't had adverse reactions to those things. If I had a different medical history, maybe I would feel differently about this. But so I, I'm pro, I'm pro vaccine. And I know whenever I say that, I get texts from people saying, well, you're going to regret this five years from now because you're putting poison in your body or whatever. And oh, okay, m- maybe. Maybe, but I, I don't believe that to be the case. And I, I've had COVID. I've got antibiotics, but I, I don't want to get COVID again. And I don't want to end up in the hospital and I don't want to get sick and I don't want to get other people sick. So I have made that particular choice. Even though I am pro-vaccine, I am anti-vaccine mandates. I, I don't think whether it's the government or whether it's employers as a general rule, I don't think people should be forced to do this. But I think there are consequences for for actions. And my feeling, and I have articulated this on multiple occasions over the last couple weeks, I think some of these employers, for example, the nursing homes that are being forced by the Biden administration to require people to get vaccinated, all their employees have to be vaccinated, or they won't. They won't qualify for federal money, federal funding, which essentially is going to you know, shut them down. I think the problem with this is you're going to have a certain percentage of that workforce that's not going to get vaccinated. And so if the nursing homes have to fire them, there's a huge shortage right now. You can't get people, for example, to work in nursing homes. And if all of a sudden October 30th rolls around and you got to fire 20 percent of your workforce, you're effectively going to be closing the doors or kicking people out on the street or you know, sending them to live with their kids or grandkids or whatever it's it's not i think a practical thing in in certain respects they don't know where you're going to replace the people okay so even though i'm anti-vaccine mandate i do think there are consequences for decisions you make for example um, at my company and, and this has been true for years and years and years you know when you sign up for health insurance there, there, there's two, there's two criteria. You have to, you have to indicate that you, whether you, you are a tobacco user or not. And if, for example, you are a smoker, you're still entitled to health insurance. They don't deny you the health insurance, but you, you pay an extra premium. And I know some of the people who are smokers don't necessarily like that, but the justification is, all right, if you are smoking, you are engaging in, you know, additional health consequences that might result in added costs. So you, you've got to, you got to pay more of your share of it. People, I know some people don't like it, but that's kind of the reality, which brings me now to Delta Airlines. Now, there's some airlines, United being one, that's come out and they've said all our employees by a particular date, unless you've got a religious exception or a medical excuse, um, you're, you're going to have to be vaccinated or we're going to terminate you, which, again, kind of raises this question in my mind. You know, airlines right now are, are struggling with staffing. What what happens if you suddenly have to get rid of 20 percent of your workforce? You know, what what is that going to mean for the bottom line? But some companies have decided we're, we're going to force people to get vaccinated. Delta Airlines is taking a different approach. 
Okay, now what they've been doing thus far is they've had what I would call, you know, you've got this carrot and the stick approach. You know, we, we either hit the donkey to make it move with the stick or we put the carrot in front of the donkey and we hope that the donkey, you know, moves to go chase the carrot. Well, up until now, Delta has been kind of pursuing the, the carrot approach where they've been offering bonuses and things like that to employees to get vaccinated. Starting September 12th, they're changing their approach. Okay, so beginning a couple weeks from now, Delta employees in the U.S. who have not been vaccinated will have to undergo weekly COVID testing as long as community case rates remain high. Okay, so starting September 12th, anybody that's not vaccinated is going to have to go through, you know, weekly testing. All right, by the end of September... What the company says is its pay protection plan. Now, what the company has been doing during the whole pandemic is if you miss time because uh, you get COVID, right, they've paid you. So the, the deal has been you don't have to take sick time. You, you know, we have this pay protection act. We want you to get better. We don't want you to come in. We don't want you to expose other people. So if you are diagnosed with COVID and you stay home while you have to stay home to recover, to get out of quarantine or whatever, we will pay you. It's the pay protection act. They've been doing it. What they say is by the end of September, this pay protection act, it's only going to apply to fully vaccinated employees who are experiencing breakthrough infections. So in other words, if you're if you're vaccinated and you get one of these breakthrough protection breakthrough you know cases, don't worry. You know, you you're going to miss time, but you're not going to have to take vacation time, you're not going to have to have sick time. We will continue to pay you. But but by the end of September, if you are not vaccinated and you come down with COVID, What's going to happen is you're, you're, you're on your own. They will not pay you. You can take sick time, I guess. You can take vacation time, but you're not going to be part of this pay protection plan. And then the third element of this is starting in November, unvaccinated employees who are enrolled in their health care plan will have to pay an extra $200 a month similar to the added fees that smokers have to pay. And and that was just me throwing that in, but that's the analogy. The company says the additional charge will help cover hospital stays that are more likely for unvaccinated people infected with COVID-19, something that Delta said can cost the company as much as $50,000 per person. Um, In recent weeks, they say that all Delta employees who have been hospitalized with COVID-19 were unvaccinated. They say the surcharge is necessary to address the financial risk the decision to not vaccinate is creating for our company. Unvaccinated employees also have to start wearing masks. But the three big elements of this is, all right, starting in a couple weeks, if you're not vaccinated, you got to go through weekly tests. By the end of the month, if you come down with COVID and you're unvaccinated, you're 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 not part of this pay protection plan. You know, if you want to continue to get paid, you got to take vacation or you got to take sick leave. And then effective November, you are going to be charged two hundred dollars more per month for your health insurance to cover the added cost that um unvaccinated people have through hospitalizations. Okay, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a reasonable approach? Delta is not saying you will be fired if you don't get vaccinated. 
But they are saying if you choose not to get vaccinated, there are going to be certain consequences, namely, uh, again, your health insurance costs are going to go up um, if you get sick. There's, I don't want to say you're on your own, but you know, you're not going to be able to continue to draw your salary automatically and you've got to get added testing. Is this unreasonable or is this, well, perhaps a, a, the sort of compromise that deals with the fact that if people choose not to get vaccinated, they are putting themselves at enhanced and greater risk, but nevertheless, they're, they're still not forced to get vaccinated. They just, they're treated differently. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Candidly, and we can discuss this, I don't have a problem with what Delta's doing. And and this is from the perspective of somebody who's pro-vaccine, but anti-vaccine mandate. I think if you make some of these decisions, you make the decision that you're not going to get vaccinated, I think you have to understand that there are going to be certain consequences. You're not going to lose your job. But it is going to perhaps cost you some more money. And if you do get sick, it's going to cost you a lot more money. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, now some of the texters are making the point that, Jeff, that this is a slippery slope. What about um, should we charge, should health insurers charge more to people who are obese, you know, um, because, you know, they they have attendant risks of diabetes or whatever. Well, I, I mean, it is, there is a slope there. I don't know how slippery it is, but we've been doing this with smokers for the longest time. You know, if, if you engage, you know, and smoking is a choice, if you engage in the decision to smoke cigarettes, well, yeah, you, you are going to pay more as a general rule for most health insurance plans. That's just the, the nature of it because that's the result of this. Um, and, and to me, this whole thing with COVID is the same way. If, if you don't, if you don't want to, um, get the vaccine, that, that's fine. But if you look at the numbers, the vast majority of people who are hospitalized, the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of people who are hospitalized, they, they're people who are unvaccinated. And so Delta is saying, look, you're taking these added risks. If you choose not to get vaccinated, that's fine. We're not going to fire you, but you have to understand there's going to be some economic consequences because there's a much greater chance that you're going to be hospitalized and each hospitalization costs us about $50,000. So yeah, you're going to have to pay an increased share because of that behavior. And candidly, I, I think this is the way of the future. I am more comfortable with this than saying to people, you're going to be fired if you, you don't get the vaccine. You're still giving people the choice as to whether they get vaccinated, but you're making it clear there's going to be consequences to them and there's going to be even greater consequences if they get sick. 855-616-1620. Anna in Glendale. Anna, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Here was my question. Maybe it's a little bit off the subject, but what about the passengers? What if the passengers are affect are are surrounded with people with um, flight attendants who have not gotten the vaccine? Isn't that a direct threat to the passengers? And couldn't the passengers sue the airline for for doing that? Well, I mean, thanks for calling. I, I don't think it's. I, I, I don't know that you can. I don't think you could sue the airlines for doing that because there's no national mandate um, that, that people be vaccinated. So I'm, I don't think it's a question of a lawsuit. I mean, I, I do think, you know, I mean, obviously 
that's one of the things that's going on. I mean, for example, United, a couple of people are texting me and they're saying, well, you know, this is just going to cause people to leave Delta. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you do get to a point where I think industry wide, you're going to see more and more airlines moving to this. Now, United has gone all the way and they've said, we're not, if you're not going to fly, you are not going to be able to work for us unless you have, in fact, been vaccinated. This is kind of the, the middle ground on all that. Um, and, and to, to answer your question, do I think that there's liability to passengers? No, I, I, I mean, I guess anybody, as we say, can sue for anything, but I don't think that. Um, I don't think that that's likely. Jeff, I have no problem with Delta insurance mandate. I am a smoker, and I understand I pay more for insurance. I believe the price for COVID inpatients is higher than smokers. Um, yeah. Um, then the question is, Jeff, is my insurance going to go up if I eat hot dogs? And and, and they, they said, laugh out loud. Look, I, I understand that that's the that that's the, the face. That's the argument. And that's the argument that we had when we saw the surcharges putting in for smokers. Well, you know, all sorts of people, if if you don't exercise enough, you know, should you should you be required to pay more if you, um, you know, have if you drink beer, you know, should you be required to pay more? I think there's a, a certain point, and it's always this kind of balancing act that the employers have to come up with to figure out, okay, if we start putting in this requirement and that requirement, we start saying, okay, um, you, you can't you can't eat meat anymore or else you're going to have to pay more for health insurance, will that then become a detriment so that people won't work for us? So that that's always what the balancing act is. And, yeah, I, I guess it's entirely possible that, that they might lose some people who decide that, you know, they don't want to pay the extra health insurance for being unvaccinated. But I think they're obviously willing to, to make that trade off by adopting what I think is kind of this 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 middle ground. Uh, let's talk to Andrea in Burlington. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you today? I, I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Oh, great. So, you know, and I'm looking at this as a parent of one vaccinated child and one unvaccinated child so far. Um, my eldest has a chronic illness. He's got type 1 diabetes. And my biggest fear during this now uptick is that we're going. he's going to end up getting sick, going into DKA, and we'll go to children's. There won't be a bed there. I think penalizing people in a manner that is appropriate is good. I, I agree with this. You have the choice to, to get the vaccine or not. That's fine. But mm-hmm. then... You should also have the choice to deal with the consequences of that, of taking beds away from someone who may need it because they're having a heart attack. You're stressing doctors and nurses out. It it, it is a slippery slope. I will agree with that. My husband's insurance, he's the primary breadwinner in our household. Um, Their insurance, we used to have to go through health screenings. The smokers did start getting charged more. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think some of it was, his company threw a ton of money at each family or person a month to offset the cost of insurance. We were, we never pay out of our pocket what the mm-hmm. insurance truly costs because the company has a vested interest sure. in you being a healthy employer or employee as well as your family being healthy. And they will help people who have, in our situation, you know, chronic illnesses that couldn't be prevented. But if it's if it's something you can prevent, why would you jump off the cliff with no rifle? life raft below you it, it it makes no sense to me it really doesn't yeah well Andrea, thanks for calling. but i mean again i don't 
I'm, I don't believe we should be for, and this is again, I, I've gotten the vaccines. I, I think that I, I encourage people. I talk up the vaccine. I encourage people to do it. But for people who, for whatever reason, have decided not to, that that's fine. But just like people who who smoke, and it's slightly different context. But here's a text that makes an interesting point. Jeff, I live um, in a particular area of the city. I pay uh, more in car insurance because the area where I live, there's more accidents near me. And if I disclose the area where this person lives, yeah, there are a lot more. He said, I've accepted that. Um, I haven't gotten a ticket. I haven't been in an accident. But because of where I live, my insurance is higher than maybe somebody who lives in a rural area. That's because there are greater risks to, you know, being driving a car in the area where I live because there's more accidents and collisions and things of, of the like, more risk that my car is going to get stolen. It's that that's what it's all about. It's about risks and it's about balancing that stuff. That's, I think, what you're seeing here. It's like, all right, if you choose not to get vaccinated, well, we, we are going to. We are, we are going to make you jump through some hoops. You're going to have to get that COVID testing, which is kind of a, I, I think it's an unpleasant experience to go through. But, you know, but but nevertheless, you're going to have to do that. You're going to have to do it every week. And you're going to have to take a greater, accept the risk of a greater burden if you end up getting sick than somebody who is otherwise unvaccinated. I think this is going to be the wave of the future, candidly, because I think a lot of companies are going to be reluctant to go to full vaccine mandates, but yet they're still going to want to impose some consequences for people who choose not to. We'll see if it works out. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. A week from today is September 1st. Now, I mean, September 1st is significant for a number of reasons, but this year, maybe more so than ever. Why? Because because President Biden has said that U.S. the U.S. military is going to be out of Afghanistan by August 31st, which means and President Biden's been for he's been pressured, apparently, by uh, members of of the military He's been pressured by other foreign leaders to extend that deadline. But at least thus far, he he said no. The Taliban, which controls most of Afghanistan, has said, um, we, we consider this to be a red line. And if the U.S. isn't gone by next Tuesday, um, we, we will start to take other sort of action. I don't know what that other sort of action is going to be. And at least as of this morning, President Biden had remained um, consistent and said that he's he's we're, we're going to be gone by next Tuesday. Well, the problem, of course, is at a press conference he held last week, President Biden said that, hey, we're, we're going to get all the Americans out, that, that we're going to get all Americans out, and that any of our Afghan allies who want to get out, we're going to get them out as well. Well, the the problem, of course, with this is we might not be able to accomplish, forget might not, the reality is we are not going to be able to accomplish that by by next Tuesday. That That's, I think, just the reality, especially since the Taliban has already shut off the airport um, access to the airport um, to to Afghanis. Um, Americans with passports and travel documents can apparently still get through, 
But, you know, Afghanis, even with appropriate travel documents, they're not going to be let through. The Taliban is saying, you know, you, you know, you can have your own people, United States, but you, you can't have our people. <laughs> and so there, the reality is, unless the U.S. becomes more aggressive over the course of the next few days, and by aggressive, I mean sending in lots more troops, expanding the perimeters, and risking you know black hawk down kind of confrontations with the Taliban in Kabul um there there's no way that we're going to get everybody out in the next 6 days at least that's the way it seems to me so let's look ahead a week from today if there are still Americans who have not been able to get out of Afghanistan which there may very well be if there are a lot of our Afghan allies who haven't been able to get out of Afghanistan, which I guarantee to you there will be. All right, should we still pull out? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. I mean, what happens? This deadline is coming up. August 31st is next Tuesday, which means a week from today, this is going to be this real-world action. On the one hand, the president said, we're not leaving anybody behind. On the other hand... The chances of getting everybody out of that war-torn area that we promised that we're going to get out, the chances of doing that by next Tuesday, I think, are very, very remote. So if by a week from today we haven't accomplished what we were promised, do we stay or do we go? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, th- this is this is always the problem that you have with, with deadlines. When when you set a particular hard date certain, you know people that aren't vaccinated are going to be fired by October thirty first or November first or whatever. Okay, that date comes along, and then you find that twenty percent of your workforce does is vaccinated. Can you really fire them all? We'll, we'll find out. President Biden says hard deadline. Everybody is going to be out of Afghanistan by by August 31st, which is next Tuesday. Well, I think most advisors are telling him that, that that's all well and good, but we're not going to have all Americans out of Afghanistan by August 31st, and we're sure as heck not going to have a lot of our allies that we've promised we'll, we'll get out. We're not going to have them out by August 31st. So do, do we cut and run? Do we give in to the Taliban? How, how do we handle this? 855-616-1620. I, I'm sorry, I just, I don't think, I, I understand there's a purpose for setting deadlines, but I don't believe that we can be dictated to by uh, the, the Taliban, a, a semi-terrorist organization. Um, I just, I, I, we, we do remain one of the remaining superpowers in the United States, and I don't think that Joe Biden can let the Taliban dictate this to us, unless the Taliban, over the course of the next week, is going to say, "All right, you know, we're." We're going to help facilitate the exodus of all Americans and any Afghanis that you want. You can get them out there. And unless we're able to do that. But right now, the Taliban is saying, well, you've got to be gone by August 31st. And by the way, we're not we're blocking the roads and we're not going to let a lot of the Afghanis who you want to get out. We're not going to let them go. So are Joe Biden, are you going to let the Taliban dictate these things to you? And my answer would be, I 
I hope not. 855-616-1620. I, I think that the message has to be, look, if the evacuation mission is not complete because the Taliban is blocking this, well, then we can't leave by August 31st. And if the Taliban has problems with that, well, too bad. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Jeff in Milwaukee. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, Personally, I think we got in this position and we're there. And the whole start of it of the last week, what transpired is put us in this situation where somebody put a hard deadline. And in my opinion, we're not going to be able to accommodate that. And we know what our predecessor as president would have done. He probably threatened a little more than what's being done right now. And maybe things would have been different, but we don't know because we're not there. But the reality is, I think we're in a bad position. Um, we have 200,000 approximately come across the border over the last four or five months. And now we're trying to help out Afghanistan, which we probably should. And um, I think their dedication to actually help has kind of been silent by other things that are going on in the country. So my opinion is we need to do whatever we can to help these people. And if the Taliban is uh, being hard deadline, well, we know what we need to probably do from there is just go in and get our people out. And yeah. So people you don't, you do not, you do not think we can cut and run. At this point in time, I would say probably not. It's not possible according to what we, what we're hearing. I, um, I no thank I see, I, I agree with you. You can't, we, we, it's a bad situation. This is why the, the hard deadlines, um, you know, the, the, the drop dead dates when it comes to, situations in foreign policy and stuff rarely make any any sense and this is as i've said this before and said repeatedly i i my beef is not so much with the fact that we're withdrawing from afghanistan i i understand i understand the arguments on both sides but it's the the very very bad way that this has been orchestrated and and constructed and things of of the like that's that's what the problem here is and now we find ourselves in the situation we're essentially being you know dictated to by again you i think you could describe the taliban as a semi-terrorist organization we know what's going to happen to people who are left behind who were allies of the united states i mean it's going to be the killing fields all over again god knows what's going to happen to you know women over there lord knows what's going to happen to the afghan allies and if the united states makes a commitment that we're going to get you out i don't think we can be dictated to now i i, I this is the problem because in order to affect the evacuations, what you have to do, and and Joe Biden's been unwilling to do it, Joe Biden needs to say, we're getting people out, and I'm not going to let the Taliban tell me no. And if that means we've got to send 20,000 troops or 30,000 troops or whatever, we're, we're, we're going to do it because we're getting the people we want out. And you can't be dictated to, again, by this situation. But it, it's going to be a mess. I don't think Biden is willing to do that. At least that's my sense of this don't think he's willing to do it but um you you've gotta you you've gotta unless we are going to leave people behind which is unfortunately one of the problems that we have now with this kind of you know um just sort of half serious approach uh gianni and montello gianni or in wtmj yes great topic jeff 
listen, I, I, I obviously morally we should not leave the Americans behind and those that um, and those Afghanis that that helped uh, the U.S. forces there. Um, but but Biden has gotten himself into a quite quite a quite a fix here. And I don't know how this is going to be resolved unless we, we send more troops there. And that may mean a lot more street to street fighting. Yeah, than, I mean, I, we've I, ever seen that. I, I'm seeing Black Hawk down, Gianni. I mean, I, you know, you're, you're I, right. I mean, it's, exactly. Jeff. Yeah, no, it's but I have to say, Jeff, there there is. Unfortunately, you go back to 1941 and there is. In historical precedent, um, you know, the, uh, the, the FDR administration left uh, over 5,000 Americans in, 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 uh, in Manila, in, in the Philippines. Yep. Yep. Um, and, you know, we can, we can uh, argue until the cows come home as to what intelligence uh, was known about the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in Manila the subsequent day. But um, unfortunately, um, it, this has happened before. This is a mess, Jeff. And who thought we would be here? No, exactly. No, th- I mean, really. Right. No, th- thanks for calling, Johnny. And again, it's it, it, it. this was an avoidable situation because if we had been systematically removing r- removing our, our assets, you know, get, getting the Americans out over the next of the last six months, getting the Afghans out over the last six months, and I Look, I, I do want to be a little bit fair here. I, I appreciate that the Biden administration was operating on really, really crummy intelligence. They, they had came, come to the belief that the Taliban wasn't going to be able to take over Afghanistan as fast as they did. But nevertheless, so it's bad intelligence. It's bad planning. And now it's a mess that's partly been created because we created an artificial deadline. I mean, there's nothing magic about August 31st. Nothing at all. OK, um, breaking news story. Uh, the mayor of Milwaukee, Tom Barrett, on his way out. The report is that um, the White House, this is the Biden administration, is going to nominate Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett to serve as the ambassador to Luxembourg. Um, the ambassador to Luxembourg. Now, you you might ask, okay, what what is what exactly is? Luxembourg. Um, and of course, um, you know, Luxembourg is a Western European nation between France and Germany. It's, it's slightly smaller than the state of Rhode Island. It's about half the size of Delaware, um, 640,000 total population. But if these reports are accurate, Tom Barrett will be leaving as the mayor of the city of Milwaukee. He first became mayor in 2004. He will be leaving to become the ambassador to Luxembourg. We're going to talk about that in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The announcement being reported by at least a number of media outlets is that Tom Barrett is in line to be named the ambassador to Luxembourg, which is an extremely small European nation. It needs, once Biden nominates him, he needs to be confirmed by the Senate. I would assume that that is not going to be an issue. And once he resigns, what will happen is the 
president of the Common Council, who is Cavalier Johnson. He will take over as the acting mayor and would serve through the spring of 2024, the, the next election. That's how it works. So there would not be a special election, at least the way I understand it, for the, the mayor. That It's sort of interesting if you go back in time and, and follow this. In, in Milwaukee, as a general rule, mayors who have been elected do not lose. It, it's interesting to remember how how um, Barrett came to power. The the last elected mayor before Barrett was John Norquist. Uh, Norquist was elected mayor in 1988, and he served until he, he stepped down in 2003, again, in the middle of his term. Common Council president at the time, Marvin Pratt, became the acting mayor. Barrett ran against Pratt in 2004 and, and, and beat him, and then has been the mayor since, um, again, since 2004. Uh, Tom Barrett is... And I say this, I, I don't mean prejudice to this. Uh, Tom Barrett is the, the classic definition of a career politician. And, and that's, that's what he's been pretty, I mean, his, his entire life. I mean, Tom Barrett, um, and I, I first met, it's an interesting story. I first met Tom Barrett. I was working in the, I just started working in the U.S. Attorney's Office and the chief federal judge was a guy named Bob Warren, uh, Robert Warren, former Attorney General of the state. He was, um, just a great man. Of all the different federal judges I had the pleasure to practice in front of, Judge Warren was my was my favorite. Just absolutely my, my favorite guy. He passed away much, much too early. But Tom Barrett was his law clerk. Tom Barrett was his law clerk. Barrett's a couple years older than I am. And, you know, what what happened is Tom was, was very always looking at a political career. Um, 1984... So he couldn't have been out too long after being a law clerk for uh, Bob Warren. He was elected to the state assembly. 89, he was elected to the Wisconsin State Senate. And then um, in 1992, he ran for Congress, got elected to Congress, and, and was in the U.S. House of Representatives representing Milwaukee, the, the then the, the 5th Congressional District. Then what happened is, I'm trying to think of the, the history of this. So he, he's in Congress, and then what ended up happening is in um, he ran for governor, in 2002, so he left Congress after four or five terms, ran for governor in 2002, didn't get out of the Democratic primary, uh, lost to Jim Doyle, who, who went on to become governor. And then he was out of politics, at least out of elected office for a couple years. And then in 2004, he ran for mayor and he's been the mayor ever since. And everybody knows he's run for governor on a couple separate occasions, um, lost to Scott Walker, both when Walker first ran for governor and then lost in the recall election as well. But he's been serving as Milwaukee mayor since 2004. Um, clearly, you know, was, was trying to find different alternatives. And um, now at the age of 67, he's um, decided, I think, to kind of put a, a cap on his career of public service. And he's, again, in line, if these reports are correct, to be serving as the ambassador to Luxembourg, which, like I say, is a very, very small European country that borders on France, 640,000 residents. It needs to be confirmed by the U.S. Senate. But like I say, I do not think that will be much of a problem. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage 
talk and text line. Assuming it's true that in the relative near future, Tom Barrett will be stepping down as the mayor of the city of Milwaukee. And like I say, that's he's been the mayor for going on 17 years now. My question is, how will he be remembered? What is his legacy? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What will the legacy of Tom Barrett be? For me, I, I think... I think again, like like so many, like so many politicians and elected officials, I, I think you you have to look at the length of of their of their term. And I think when Barrett came in in two thousand four, I, I think he, he brought a spirit. I think he brought an energy. I think he brought ideas to the city of Milwaukee. The problem is, I think people tend to stay too long. And my biggest criticism of of Tom Barrett in the last few years has been the fact that I I, I think he's just been flat out punched out. I, I mean and I and I don't mean that in a in a negative sort of way, but I think he's I think he's burned out with the the situation. You know, the, the situations in in Milwaukee and let's face it, urban Urban areas have lots of challenges and lots of problems. The, the crime problem in Milwaukee is just simply out of control. And, you know, we talk about it on this program all the time. And I know the mayor is frustrated. I mean, you, when, on a, when you look at what's going on with car thefts and homicides and the reckless driving and stuff, and, and I think he's frustrated. I think he's out of ideas as to how to handle, you know, what, what's going on in the streets. I don't think he's willing to, and I think this has been my problem over the last few years. I don't think he's willing to kind of roll up his sleeves and, and really, you know, call out the people that need to be called out and call out the judges and recognize that we've got a criminal justice system that, that's not working. I, I think he's kind of taken a back door on that. I think, you know, he's pushed for certain things and there has undoubtedly been economic development in downtown Milwaukee, but that's come, I believe, at the expense of the economic development throughout the rest of the city. So I, I think I, I think there's always a point in time where new ideas are good, and, and I think people can sort of stay too long. You, you have, and I'll, I'll give you a Republican example, so people don't think this is just completely on on political lines. I think when Scott Walker first got elected governor, won the election, you know, over Tom Barrett, you know, in 2010, Walker had a very, very broad and aggressive agenda, and, and it was Act 10, and, and that was revolutionary. And I understand you might hate Act 10, you might love Act 10, but he wanted to reshape Wisconsin government. That was that was a big idea, and he had that big idea, and he fought for it, and he fought for it, and he got it through, and then I think after that happened, a lot of people were saying, okay, Governor, what's what's the next big idea? And, and I'm not sure we, we had a lot of big ideas. Tommy Thompson, long-serving Republican governor of the state, and I go back with Governor Thompson into the 90s. All right, Tommy Thompson had had a had a vision, and his vision was to essentially you know do away with welfare as we know it. He wanted to move Wisconsin away from being a, a welfare state, get Wisconsin back to work. He had big ideas, and, and he he pushed those big ideas, and he fought for those big ideas, and he got them through. And then 
I don't know, after, you know, the third term rolls around and stuff, it's kind of like, okay, where where are the big ideas? I think people sort of run out of gas, and this is Republicans and it's Democrats. People sort of run out of gas after a while, and and, and you need that that new blood that's going to come in. And I, I think... That that's, I think, a situation when I look at the Barrett administration, I get the idea, I felt this for a long time, that they've just been sort of, sort of treading water, that the big, that the, some of the big issues that are affecting the, the city, the, the issues, like I say, crime and economic development and things like that, a, a lot of these, these issues were sort of, I don't know, kind of put on, on the back burner because, you know, maybe we need some new ideas and we need some new energy. And I don't mean that as an indictment of Tom Barrett per se, but I, I think it's, it's one of the things. Sometimes you need new blood. And this, I mean, I think this is a graceful exit. So it's not a question. I think most of us thought it was very unlikely that he would run again. So this puts kind of a nice cap on a lengthy career of public service. You go to a, it's not like you're, the ambassador to Afghanistan or anything like that. I know I don't think we're going to have one moving forward. But, you know, it's it's kind of a, a, a nice thing, and you take your family and you go hang out, and I'm sure – um, it's, I'm sure it's, it's a wonderful country and it'd be great. So I, I don't begrudge him, but at the same time, I, I think this is an exciting opportunity for the city of Milwaukee to deal with, I, I don't know, to deal with the challenges. And I don't know about Cavalier Johnson and I don't, I don't know what the future of this is going to be, but at least now we're going to have a dialogue on, on what what new things we need to have. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is this good for Milwaukee that, that Tom Barrett is is moving on? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think it's fair to say that um, in many respects, as a mayor, I, Milwaukee could have done worse. And I've been very critical of Tom Barrett with, I think, like I say, sort of the the – out of gas approach. I, I think the the streetcar was just absolutely foolish, and it's going to go down as just if that's his legacy. I I, I think it's going to go down as just like a head shaking thing. My prediction is next ten years or so, you know, new administrations that don't aren't tied necessarily to that vision and don't have that wrapped up in their legacy. New administrations are going to recognize we can't continue to fund this, and I think the streetcar is going to kind of go the way of the horse and buggy. But that's just my prediction. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tom Barrett apparently on his way out. What do you think? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I, I do think that the thing that people need to be thinking, and I'm getting, as you might expect, a ton of texts on this, and the, the general reaction is that Tom Barrett's legacy after all these years is, is going to be. The, the trolley, and, and I think there, there's certainly an element of that. But the, the thing that people need to remember as well is that, what's the cliche, the grass isn't always greener. I I think as a general rule, Barrett has been a, he has governed as a moderate Democrat. And I, I understand it's a nonpartisan thing, but Tom's, he's a Democrat. I think he's governed as a modern, as a moderate Democrat. I think what you've seen happen, and, and the, the Common Council um, is not necessarily composed of a majority of, of moderates. 
And I, you know, how Cavalier Johnson plays out in his role as acting mayor is very much up in, in the air. And it, it's really a question of, I think this is, this is a key time for the city of Milwaukee because there, there's all sorts of different real issues that, that have to be faced. And I, I think one of the unfortunate things about the last couple years with the mayor is, and I, I keep coming back to crime because I, I, I just, I really do believe that when it comes to quality of living and standard of living and things in a community, a lot of it does flow from crime. You're, you're not going to get business development in areas if businesses are afraid that, hey, their, their employees are going to get robbed and their customers are going to get robbed and it's unsafe. You've got to get control of crime. And I think we've done an abysmal job of that. I think it is appalling that we've gone for a year without having a police chief in the city of Milwaukee. And, and the way that it was handled was just so, so screwed up. And we, we still, you you know, don't have this this police chief. There's no leadership at a time that you very much need it, and you have uh, again still people very very polarized. You have ex- issues with economic development and all these things. And again, my big beef with Tom Barrett is I think that they ran out of ideas. I think they ran out of energy. And so to that extent, I, I think it, it's good that you're going to have some new blood coming in with the new ideas. The problem is what what are those new ideas going to be? You know, is is the future moving forward going to be, hey, we want to aggressively defund the police? Is that, is, is that going to be the approach? Is the approach going to be, all right, we, we want to go to a, a system of, of, of more regulation and more and more and more. Now, one of the things that Tom Barrett announced yesterday was the fact that, and this is apparently, and he knew he was out the door, that we're going to impose vaccine mandates on all general city of Milwaukee employees. All right, so far, there's been a lot of push, and we were going to talk about it today, but I think I'll stall it tomorrow. A lot of members of the Common Council were pushing to reinstate, you know, citywide mask mandates and things like that. Barrett has been unwilling to do that unilaterally. Okay, well, you know, moving forward, you know, what, what's what's going to happen? Is is this going to be driven by the Common Council? And, you know, is the mayor essentially going to be a rubber stamp for what the Common Council wants to do? So are we going to see more restrictions? Th- those are all the things, and, and those are kind of open questions for everybody who's seeing, glad to see Barrett go, through, go to Luxembourg. And no, it's not Luxembourg in Wisconsin. It's Luxembourg, you know, the country in, in Europe. But it, it's always a question of, you know, what is going to happen now and what direction does the city choose to go? And I, I think it really is a tipping point in many respects for the city of Milwaukee. Lots of stuff that you can say is going on that, that's positive, you know, some interesting development, some good development downtown and things like that. But let's face it, you've got a city where you've got huge, huge problems. You know, it is unsafe in large portions of the city. It remains segregated both racially and economically. And I, I'm not sure that, you know, we anybody has any really good ideas as to how that you can rectify that. You've got the population that is declining, again, dramatically. You've got all these different issues. So I, I don't know that there's necessarily going to be a, a honeymoon period when and if the, the acting mayor takes over. Don't know how quickly this transition can occur. But now Tom Barrett is the ultimate lame duck. So you know what's going to happen over the next couple months? Don't know. The question is going to be, will Tom Barrett be appointed as the ambassador to Luxembourg before we get a new police chief? 
My guess would be probably so, but you know, who, who knows? It is a time of opportunity. There's no question about it, but be careful for everybody who's glad to see Barrett leave. Be careful what you wish for because that energy, those new ideas might be ideas that a lot of people don't end up liking. All right. When we come back, let's find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's afternoon news.